That was a nice block of songs. Thank you to Aaron and the team. Uh, Great to see you at church this morning. If you're visiting with us, it's really nice to have you and we hope you feel most welcome and uh, hope you can join us after the service for a coffee to get to know you. At the moment in at Morley Baptist, we're looking at Revelation chapter 1, 2 and 3. Uh, So if you could have that open, that'd be great. We're looking at seven churches that Jesus writes to and speaks to. So our theme is called, uh, What Would Jesus Say? So let me pray before we get into this next, uh, next church, the second church, Smyrna. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we are a church that's in a country where we can meet freely and openly and other people know that we meet and no one's calling the cops. No one's dragging us into court. No one's trying to burn the building down. Uh, Help us not to take this for granted, but help us to remember it daily and to be thankful for it. And as we look at this persecuted church in Smyrna, we do pray for the persecuted church in the world today. And we ask that you be with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the church, uh, the passage we're looking at today is from Revelation chapter 2 from verse 8. I want you to imagine that you live in a country where Christians are persecuted. You don't live in Australia, you live elsewhere. And you can't be open about your faith. You meet in secret with other Christians. You're in constant fear that you'll be found out. If your family finds out that you're a Christian even, you'll be rejected by your immediate family. Worse, they might tell the authorities. You could be followed by secret police or kidnapped by extremists. There's threat that you could be thrown into prison or even killed if you don't renounce your faith. What would it be like to live in that kind of environment where there's that kind of pressure from outside the church? Pressure from family, pressure from government, pressure from non-government actors. These are some of the things that we'll think about today. As I said, we're currently looking at the book of Revelation, the seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And our focus today is the church in Smyrna. And Smyrna is a persecuted church. Jesus speaks to the church in the midst of their suffering and we'll see what he says to encourage them to be faithful in the face of persecution. So let's start by getting to know a bit about this city called Smyrna. So there's Smyrna on the map, uh, just above Ephesus. It's our second church that we're looking at today. Uh, There's Patmos where John's writing from, Ephesus and Smyrna. At the time Revelation was written, Smyrna was known for its wealth and for its beauty. So Smyrna was wealthy because of its port. There's a picture of the port probably in the early 1900s. It had a close relationship with the Romans because the Romans needed an Asian port and Smyrna wanted the trade. So it welcomed Roman ships from the Mediterranean. There's a broader view of the port or the harbour in Smyrna. And in addition to ships, in addition to welcoming ships, Smyrna also welcomed Roman gods. And so Roman temples sprung up around the city. By the time of the writing of Revelation, the Roman cult had begun. So people were encouraged to worship the emperor as God. And like the rest of Asia Minor, the locals were to swear allegiance to Caesar as Lord. 
So as early as 26 AD, so while Jesus was still around, Smyrna had its first temple to Tiberius Caesar. So Smyrna in this time is a city with very close ties to Rome. The authorities encouraged emperor worship and they were taken, they were very keen for their inhabitants to worship Caesar as Lord because it meant closer ties with Rome and more wealth and more privilege. In addition to being a wealthy city, Smyrna was also a beautiful city. That's a modern photo. It is, looks quite, quite a nice place to go. I think Paul wants to cruise through there, don't you, Paul? If anyone can shout him. It was on the coast with a beautiful harbour and it rose up to a mountain called Mount Pagos. At the time, Mount Pagos was surrounded by buildings at its base and it looks like a crown. And a well-known saying at the time was the crown of Smyrna. We don't have pictures, obviously, of the crown of Smyrna. But coins they have found show the goddess Sibele, or Sibele wearing the crown of Smyrna on her head. So that's supposed to be Mount Pagos with buildings at the base. So it's a wealthy city. It's a beautiful city. It's a big city. Smyrna competed with other cities especially with Ephesus and Pergamum, to be known as the first of Asia. And so on some coins in Smyrna was written, the first of Asia in beauty and size. And one more fact about Smyrna. It was established about 1000 BC. It was destroyed in 600 BC. It was reconstructed in 290 BC. And it's said to have come back even more beautiful and even stronger. It's in this city that the church at Smyrna took root. And it's to this church that Jesus says in verse 8 of chapter 2, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and who is now alive. So Smyrna prided itself on being the first city in Asia because of its beauty and its size. But Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, I'm the first. I brought time. I brought creation into being. History begins with me. Smyrna's not the first. If you really want to know who's first, look to Jesus. He is first from eternity. And he's the first and the last, he says. Not only does history start with Jesus, it ends with him. All of history points towards Jesus because he's the end of history. He's the telos. As strong and as beautiful as Smyrna is, it won't outlast Jesus. All of its beauty, all of its wealth and power will crumble and fade away. But Jesus and his power and his beauty will never fade away. He's the first and he's the last. From the first till last, Jesus is the Lord of history. Jesus controls history. And the church at Smyrna need to know this because in the midst of their suffering, it's easy to think that Jesus is not in control, isn't it? It's easy to think that the persecutors are in control. The wealthy are in control. But Jesus says, I'm in control. And no matter what the church suffers, their eternal safety is guaranteed. So he's the first and the last. He also says in verse 9 that he's the one who died and now is alive. Smyrna was destroyed in 600 BC, rebuilt in 290 BC, some 300 years later. And it was built more beautiful and more powerful than before. And the people of Smyrna worship this city, come back to life with its amazing crown on Mount Pagos. And Jesus says, I'm the one who died and is now alive. 
I am alive forever, never to die again because I've defeated death. Smyrna's rebuild is only temporary. Jesus' resurrection is forever. The people of Smyrna worship the city and its wealth and its beauty and they worship the gods of Rome. And Jesus says to these people, I'm the one to be worshipped. I'm the first and the last. I died for you. I'm alive today. Don't worship the temporal. Don't worship the things of earthly cities, the wealth, the beauty, the gods. Be faithful to me and you'll be with me in the eternal city. We don't worship earthly things. We don't worship the physical and the temporal. Our God is the living God, the first and the last, who reigns over the whole of eternity. This made me think of Perth. Perth's a beautiful city with its beaches and its rivers and its nice weather. Perth's a wealthy city, fed by mining and oil and gas. Perth's temporary. Everything you see will be destroyed. And the money, it'll all end one day. The whole lot will go. But Jesus is eternal. He's the first and the last. When Perth is finished and done with, Jesus will still be Lord. He died. He's now alive forever. So this is the message that Jesus starts with this, with this church in Smyrna. They're a persecuted church. They need to know that Jesus is in control of history and that he will be control until the end. Jesus is in control, not the Roman gods, not the officials of Smyrna. He's alive today and he speaks to them. He's present with them in their suffering. He walks amongst the lampstand. So let's take a look at the church in Smyrna and the persecutions they're going through. So a few things about their persecutions. Forget that last slide. Their persecutions. Firstly, their persecution is from Jew and Gentile. So as I said, Smyrna had a close relationship with Rome and they competed with other cities to show their allegiance. One way to show allegiance was to worship Roman gods, which meant bowing down to Caesar as Lord. If you didn't worship Caesar, you could be persecuted, excluded from trade, charged, put in jail, put to death. The Jews were exempt from such worship because they were an existing religion. They were an old religion. They were allowed to attend synagogue. They were allowed to praise their God. New religions were not allowed. Now, originally Christians were thought of as part of Judaism, but over time they were outed by the Jews as worshipping a new God called Jesus. And so the Jews in Smyrna dobbed the Christians into the Romans. And so Jesus says in verse 9, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. The Jews were slandering the Christians, saying that they believe in a false God and that they're trying to stir up trouble. And once this happened, pressure's put on them to worship Roman gods and even the Roman emperor. And failure to do this led to persecution from Rome, poverty, jail, death. So they were slandered by Jew and persecuted by the Romans. It came from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Next, persecution at Smyrna was present and is future. Jesus says that he knows their suffering now when he writes. He knows their persecution. He knows their poverty. But he warns them about future suffering. So the suffering that's in the church at the moment is not the last, nor is it the worst. 
In the future, they'll be put in prison and some will die. So have a look at verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I'll give you the crown of life. Notice the reason they will suffer in the future is in order to be tested. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you. The devil wants to see who will stand. And there's allusions to Job here, aren't they? Remember the devil inflicted Job with sores from top to bottom? Great suffering to get him to curse God? That's what's going on here. The devil puts these Christians in prison to test them, hoping that they'll worship Caesar and deny Christ. And they'll even face death for not bowing to Caesar, which is worse than what Job went through. You know, when you think about it, death is generally a really good deterrent, don't you think? Not just in this context, in any context. Nobody wants to die. Most people have a fear of death. So death is generally a good deterrent in most situations. You know, if someone says to you, if you do this, you'll die, you probably think twice about doing whatever it is they tell you. You hear stories about doctors who tell their patients, if you don't stop smoking, you're going to die. If you don't stop drinking, you're going to die. And some patients give up on the spot because it's a great deterrent. It's the type of threat that changes your life. It's the type of threat that makes you change what you're doing. If you're threatened with death, and you don't change your mind, if you don't do what they say, then you you want to have a really good reason to choose death, don't you? Because that's the only option. What reason is big enough? What reason is good enough? What goal is worth being faithful unto death? Jesus says he is worth dying for. Remaining faithful to him is worth dying for because he promises you the crown of life. So persecution at Smyrna was present at the time, wrote Revelation, and it was going to continue and it was going to increase. And Jesus tells the church at Smyrna, remain faithful to him, even in death. We know that this did happen, actually, to Christians in Smyrna. We have historical manuscripts that document some martyrs. Most notably, a guy called Polycarp, who was the Bishop of Smyrna in the second century. Polycarp is known as an apostolic father. He knew the Apostle John. He sat under the teaching of the Apostle John, which is cool in itself. In 156 AD, Polycarp appeared in Smyrna before the Roman proconsul, proconsul. And he was told to renounce Christianity at the threat of being burned to death. And he refused, and he was burned alive. And this is the record of the event in the martyrdom of Polycarp. Let me read it for you. But in the afternoon, with the sun high in the sky, it was time for the execution of criminals. There were a lot of them, slaves, war captives, arsonists, murderers, and those like Polycarp who had committed sacrilege by refusing to honour the Godhead of Caesar and who would not take the easy way out. So the proconsul said to Polycarp, take the oath, 
I'll let you go. Just revile Christ. Polycarp answered, For eighty and six years I have been his servant, and he's done me no wrong. And how can I now blaspheme my king who saved me? He offered a prayer in the name of the triune God, and then was bound. The wood was lit. So what Jesus says about the future in Smyrna came true. No surprise there. Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, was killed because he would not deny Christ and he was not the only one. So it's real. It's real. Christians face the choice of Christ or death. And it's real today. There are people in countries, not this one, but many places in the world where it's real. So persecution is both present and future in the church of Smyrna. So it's from Jew and Gentile, it's present and future, and it's physical and spiritual. So we're seeing that the persecution is physical, the church was afflicted, slandered, it's in poverty, they were thrown in jail, they were killed. So spiritual, isn't it? Did you notice that behind each of the persecutions is the devil himself? Jesus calls the Jews in Smyrna a synagogue of Satan. Satan is behind this persecution by the Jews. The word Satan means accuser. And these Jews are falsely accusing Christians of worshipping a false god. I mean, Satan knows that Jesus is the true God, but he gets the Jews to slander the Christians and accuse them before the authorities. And the Romans say, deny Christ or die. Worship Caesar or die. The Christians in Smyrna are put under enormous pressure from the devil. This is Satan's work. And we also read in verse 10 that the devil himself will put some in prison to test them and they'll suffer for 10 days. Prison itself is not a punishment. Prison was just the place where you waited for execution. So again, you'd be told to deny Jesus or you'd be killed. So the devil is behind the persecution in Smyrna. Slander, poverty, affliction, abuse, jail, death. It's people doing the damage, but it's the devil that's behind it. And he's doing it because he wants Christians to deny Christ. No matter what type of persecution there is, the devil's always the the author of it. And the church is in a spiritual battle. Wherever you live, it's a spiritual battle. It's even a spiritual battle in Australia. You might not face prison. You might not face death for your faith. You might. But the devil wants you to deny Jesus. He's working against you to make you deny Jesus. He'll use other methods. We have to be aware of that. So Christian persecution is spiritual. The physical physical persecution has a spiritual backing. So that's the persecution in the church of Smyrna. Smyrna. It's from Jew and Gentile. It's present and it's future. And it's physical and it's spiritual. Our series is called, What Would Jesus Say? In this context of terrible persecution, what does Jesus say to the church of Smyrna? How does he encourage them to keep going? Well, we've seen. He's told them he's the first and the last. They can trust him. He controls history. And also, he died and he's now alive. He's defeated death. They can trust their life to him. 
What what else does Jesus say to encourage them? He says they're rich. Despite their poverty, they're rich in Christ. They don't need earthly wealth because they've got God and he's already poured out his riches upon them in his blessings in Christ. What else? In verse 10, Jesus tells them to remain faithful even unto death because they'll receive the crown of life. And here Jesus is comparing the crown of Smyrna to the crown of life. Which do you prefer? Is your allegiance to Smyrna with its beautiful crown, its wealth, its connections to Rome? Is your allegiance to the Lord of eternity who will crown you with the true crown of life? Don't be fooled by the crown of Smyrna. It's an earthly crown. It's temporal. It's fade, it'll fade away. In fact, it already has in that photo. The buildings are gone. It has no eternal benefit. It, it, its crown has earthly power. It has no eternal power. The crown of Jesus is an eternal crown that will never fade away and it comes with all the heavenly benefits. If you remain faithful, even unto death, you'll receive the crown of life. That's what Jesus says to Smyrna. And he says in verse 11, He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And what do the Smyrnaeans have to overcome? I mean, Jesus says this to every single church of the seven churches. What is it that the Smyrnaean Christians have to overcome? They have to overcome the pressure to deny Christ. That's what the persecution is all about. The Jews want them to deny Christ. The Romans want them to deny Christ. The devil wants them to deny Christ. They're all working towards the same objective to get these Christians to deny Jesus. Talk about pressure. That's what they have to overcome. They have to be faithful to Jesus even in the face of death. And so Jesus says to them, if you remain faithful to me, you won't be hurt by the, at all by the second death. And there's a, an emphatic double negative here. You will not ever be hurt by the second You will never be hurt by the second death. And again, you're supposed to compare death with the second death. It's a comparison of the small to the large. Your death is as nothing compared to the second death. The first death is the death of the body. The second death is the death of body and soul. Death for the Christian is to enter God's presence. Second death is to be excluded from God's presence. The second death is hell. The second death is judgment. It's the lake of fire. You don't want to taste the second death. And if you overcome, you will never be harmed by the second death. If you stay faithful to Jesus, even under death, you'll never be hurt by the second death. Suffering is hard. Persecution is so hard. I mean, I don't even know. I imagine it is. But Jesus says to remain faithful and you'll receive the crown of life and you'll never be hurt by the second death. That's what Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. You will be persecuted. People will slander you. You will face prison and death. But stay faithful to me and you'll receive the crown of life and you'll never be hurt by the second death. So that's Smyrna. Since we're talking about persecution, I think it's right to think about some of the places in the world where the church is persecuted. And we'll pray for them. Adam's going to pray for them after me. 
So I looked on uh, the Open Doors website, which has the 50 most persecuted countries in the world for Christians. And I mentioned the top two. You can have a look at the others. The number one is North Korea. Let me, let me read what this website says about North Korea. North Korea is a brutally hostile place for Christians. If discover, discovered by authorities, believe that believers are either sent to labor, labor camps as political prisoners where the conditions are atrocious or killed on the spot and their families will share their fate as well. Christians have absolutely no freedom. It's almost impossible for believers to gather or meet to worship. Those who dare to meet must do in utmost secrecy and at enormous risk. In the last year, several dozen North Korean believers from several underground churches were discovered and executed. More than 100 members of their families were also said to have been rounded up and sent to labor camps. Doesn't sound good. Secondly, Somalia. Somalia, this is number two. Somalia is a majority Muslim nation and society expects all Somalis to be Muslim. The violent insurgent group Al-Shabaab has repeatedly expressed its desire to eradicate Christians from the country. Christians from Muslim backgrounds are regarded as high-value targets and may, may be killed on the spot if discovered. Christians also face serious persecution from their family and community. Leaving Islam is regarded as betrayal of the family and clan and family members and clan leaders will harass, intimidate and even kill Somali converts. Christians in Somalia continue to face an extreme level of violence which has worsened in recent years. During the past year, Al-Shabaab carried out a number of violent attacks in the capital, killing hundreds. So that's just the top two of 50 most persecuted countries for Christians. We need to pray for them. Maybe you can give money, maybe you can go, but at least we need to pray for them. That they'll remain faithful to Jesus under difficult circumstances. That even in the face of death, that they'll overcome the temptation to abandon Jesus. Interestingly, on this website, the... um, Open Doors website, they say they don't work to end persecution. They exist to strengthen the church in persecution and through persecution. So pray for strength for the persecuted church. But let's think about closer to home. Suffering in Australia, persecution in Australia, doesn't really compare, does it, to that kind of persecution around the world? But it's still real. And I think it's real and it's different in different environments. This is what I've been thinking. I think in the media and academia, they seem to be more anti-Christian than the general public. That's the feeling I get. You can disagree with me after. You know, if you have an alternative view to popular media, you'll be sidelined or reviled or discriminated against. If you're not politically correct, there's something wrong with you. You can be insulted or cancelled if you're not PC. So there's areas in the media, in academia, and universities, there's more pressure to be politically correct. But I think saying that, I think the general public in Australia are nowhere near that level of bias to Christians. And we need to remind ourselves of that, I think. Don't let the media 
scare you into thinking that most Australians are biased against Christianity. I think that would be wrong to think that. It would be wrong for them to press you in that way because I don't think they are. The majority of Australians are quite okay with Christians. They're quite okay with churches. A lot of them have had a history in churches and they're quite happy to have a conversation about Jesus. Let me give you an example. Recently, Elizarig and I have been out door knocking just around here to talk to people about the church and about Jesus, and people are fine with it. Some people don't want to chat, but they're very polite. Many people do want to chat. We've had good conversations with a lot of people. You know, God's put eternity in the hearts of every person. So every person has an inclination to want to know more. We all have that need to know God, and every, everyone in Bassendine has that need. Maybe they just don't have the opportunity, and, and, and we're, we're threatened by media who tells us we can't talk about God. But the people we, we meet in the suburbs, in their houses, they seem to be open, spiritually open, because they're just people. They're not the media. They're not academia. It's just people in their houses, and there's no need to fear them. So let me finish by saying this. Now is the time to get your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now is the time to build spiritual muscle, gospel muscle, because we live in a place where there's little persecution. Don't wait until persecution comes. Build spiritual muscle now. Now is the time to grow in gospel ministry because you're free to do that. You can door knock and not be thrown in jail. You can speak to friends and not be dragged before the courts. You can publish Christian material on the internet and there's no fear of police coming to your door. It's amazing. We need more Christian writers. Start writing a Christian article. You won't be persecuted for it. Now's the time to get on with gospel work because you can, without fear of persecution in Australia. Start a new ministry, do some evangelism, go to Bible college, invite friends to church to hear about Revelation. Now is the time to get on with gospel work. Build spiritual muscle now so that if persecution comes, you'll be able to stand. And if you don't do it now, you won't do it when the pressure's on. Practice doing it now. So if the, in the future pressure's on, you'll be more able because you've built some spiritual muscle when you are able. And praise God, we live in a country with freedom of belief. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these uh, words to Smyrna who were under serious pressure. Um, pressure beyond uh, what we can understand. But we know there's people in the world that can, can understand it and do understand it and are faced with this kind of stuff. So we pray for them and we pray for us. Lord, for the intimidation that we find in this country, we pray you would help us to stand for Jesus, to be strong, to understand that the crown of life is worth being faithful for. And we thank you that we'll never have to face the second death. In your name we pray. Amen.
we do have an opportunity now to come before the throne of God, uh, where Jesus reigns exalted. He is ruler over everything. So let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, in churches we don't know, uh, but God knows. Let's pray together. Our great God, our great Saviour, we thank you that uh, yeah, right now this morning we've been able to freely come before you to freely praise and worship you and to freely open up your word together this morning. The Lord, as we've been reminded of the reality that many of your people right now are, are facing uh, the heaviness of persecution, facing the loss of jobs, facing the loss of their possessions and even the loss of their lives, for simply bowing before the Lord Jesus and bowing their knee and following him. Lord, we want to ask uh, that by your spirit you would give them leaders that teach them well, teach your people well, that you'd give them a spirit of unity, uh, that you'd give them a strong awareness that in spite of all they face, that Jesus is King and Lord over all. And right now, Father, we, we do think... Uh, of your people uh, in those places we just heard of in North Korea and also in Somalia. And Father, we know that you are aware of all of your churches in Asia and the Middle East and in Africa and in India uh, that are facing persecution. And Lord, we pray for them. We want to pray that you give them uh, just the constant awareness of the great and certain hope that they have in the Lord Jesus, that you will lift them up soon, that you will free them and give them a crown of life and of glory as they behold your beauty on that day. Lord, give them strength to persevere, give them clarity and wisdom. And we, we pray, Father, as well, that your spirit would make them winsome and appealing uh, appealing to those who are threatening them even now, that they might win some of those to the, to the Lord Jesus who are persecuting them, that they would turn and bow their knee boldly before Jesus as well. Now, gracious God, we, we do also yeah, think about our country, Australia, and the place we live, and we thank you that it is possible to meet uh, together to, to proclaim Christ without fear for our lives. So we thank you for this freedom and security we have. But Lord, we, we do want to pray that you would help your church in Australia not to grow more complacent, but to grow more courageous. Lord, we ask this for ourselves, for our church here at Morley, that you might give us an awareness um, that even though we might risk losing friends and family, or we might face ridicule, please give us a boldness to face these um, smaller threats, to even face the unknown that we fear. And Lord, that you would give us strength by your Spirit to correct, courageously take just every opportunity we have while we have it to let people know the news of the great God who has come near. To speak of the God who provides forgiveness of sin and who deals with shame. To announce 
that the King has come and He has won us, the lost. He's giving life. He is calling people to Himself. So, Father, please, may we practice this week and the weeks to come uh, the courageous life that you call us to, to live for Jesus. May Jesus be exalted in our lives, we pray. Amen.